have to squeeze out the bottom of the <laughs> No, but then there's only two of you left. So right, <laughs> 20,000 of you went in the top. Hello and welcome to episode 97 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is the marketing and the F is, well, you decide. As you're probably wondering... Does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott, and this weekly podcast serves as my excuse to chat with marketing friends old and new that I've met through my career from techie to CMO, and hopefully share with you some marketing street knowledge that my guests and I have picked up along the way. Come say hello. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn, and a proud member of the Marketing Podcast Network. This episode was recorded on Friday the 14th of January. I hope you've had a good week and you are well, safe and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. This week, Jeff Clark takes his regular seat and we discuss marketing education. Sadly, my guest was unwell, so I'll go solo with a thought before we wind down the week with Robert Rose in the Rockstar CMO Virtual Bar. But first... We need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. After this word, we'll be right back. After this word. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. Right, on to our first segment. My chum, Jeff Clark, is a former research director at Serious Decisions Forrester and is now principal strategic advisory at Rockstar CMO. An educated man, is that important for marketing? Let's find out. Welcome back, Jeff, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you, my friend? I am doing well. It's, uh, we're in the thick of winter here in New England, and it's um, sunny but cold in the yes. single digits Fahrenheit-wise. And uh, I don't know, after being uh, in Norway for almost a month, this seems pretty normal. <laughs> Feels about right. <laughs> Feels about right. Yeah, I remember when uh, when we were leave, living over there. In fact, Facebook reminded me the other day. It showed me because I'd taken a photo of my dashboard of my car when I was when I was living there. I think I was either up your way in Massachusetts because we had an office up there, or down down in Connecticut, and it was showing minus twelve degrees centigrade. And I can't do the math to know what that is in Fahrenheit, but I remember at the time thinking, "Fucking hell!" <laughs> <laughs> and we had that really cold winter, and, and it was weeks and weeks, and we couldn't leave the house without boots on. And I remember being overjoyed that I could put a sn- pair of sneakers on in sometime in March or something. I know, I know. I, absolutely, yeah. It's uh, yeah, 
it takes a while getting used to. But again, as I said, you know, just you know, being in Norway, where it's like we did wear boots every day. We wore yeah, spikes yeah. on our boots. We, yeah. you know, it's just you went outside. Yeah, I, you know, multiple layers of clothing. Yeah. That's just that's we just loved what it. You do the funny thing is, is um, for us coming from here in the UK, where it snows sometimes, but we don't get the predictable snow and. Um, so the first time when you get this really nice snowfall and it's bright blue and it's all of that picturesque snow, the first time you're like, this is amazing. Week six. <laughs> Even the kids are getting bored with it, right? And you're shoveling the drive out again. It's like... <laughs> but, but you can't complain about the weather. Uh, but I must complain about the weather being English and just to point out that we've uh, sorted that out and we've sorted the weather That's, out. Well, I've been, I've spent a lot of time in England and believe me, there's plenty to complain about. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. All right. So, uh, on to the topic for this week. And uh, some, we've actually been uh, doing some conversations outside of press and record and just recording our random chats and. Uh, we've been talking about marketing education recently. It comes up a lot, actually, on the podcast and on and on the various interweb thingies that we keep an eye on. And as part of our conversation, we I was surprised by how everything in marketing uh, that is old seems to be new again. Somebody like proclaims it's the it's the new thing, and you know those of us that have been around for a bit are like. Ah! this is just like this other thing that we're pretty sure there's a book about this that's 20 years old. <laughs> so are folks in marketing discovering these things for the first time and sharing them as if they're new because they're new to them because we don't have that classic education, uh, unlike other professions where there's a standard curriculum that's the basis for learning the trade? Absolutely. What say you, Jeff? Absolutely. I, 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 I couldn't agree more. Of course, one of the things we've, we've also talked about is that, you know, we both came from very different yeah backgrounds i mean i didn't take mark i took economics you know i think you were you were coming up through you know technology yeah. and it and yeah. you know frankly that's i mean a lot of people enter marketing because they you know they have come from other disciplines and then it's like i don't know you know maybe it's their communication skills for yeah. me it was writing it's like i didn't you know i was working in a sales job didn't really like that just kind of gravitated over to marketing and and it was my writing skills that actually got me, you know, good, good marketing jobs down the road. So it's, um, but you're right. It's like there, there are so many basics to marketing well. Um, and yet they're not really, I mean, certainly they're taught in some places, but, but either they're not taught in a way that is, um, you know, practical or, you know, yeah. what you're going to do on the job, or, um, it's just that the people that get into marketing get, you know, they, they come from those, these different disciplines. And so they've got to learn, you know, you know, people coming from the product technology side, they got to learn, you know, like branding, it's like yeah. brand, that's all a bunch of bull, you know, yeah, who cares, yeah. about, you know, yeah, yeah. or the brand people are like, who cares about what the product does? Yeah. We need to talk to the customer yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and, you know, give them our value proposition. Yeah, so, yeah. um, uh, and, and it's, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a problem. I think it's particularly a problem for um, CMOs, marketing leaders that are trying to develop a culture and getting people on the same page within an organization. And, you know, they may come up with their own sort of like, you know, planning or their go-to-market strategy or something like that. And mm -hmm. if everybody's scratching their head because they don't understand the principles behind why you did that, or you didn't do it right yeah, because yeah, you never had any marketing training. <laughs> yeah. 
then yeah. then it just doesn't it doesn't click with people. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, I mean, you could say something similar f- for sales, um, but there's you know there's just a ton of sales education curriculum out there, mm-hmm. um, and um, and in marketing, there's you know there's resources out there, but I don't think it's it's been um, really ingrained in marketing leaders to right. understand skill sets and then you know kind of bring people up to uh, a common yeah. skill set. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking the, the the same actually about sales. Um, and by the way, you know, yeah, I came up through technical route, but let's be honest and whisper it. I left school when I was seventeen, right? so I have formal education kind of not really. Well, you were one of those. You were one of those Einstein, you know, folks that didn't. <laughs> I was studying yeah, like Bill Gates. You know, yeah, this is just getting in my way. No, I just worked really hard for a million years to get to where I am now. But the um, the uh, but I mean, I was I was studying computer science and art, so I think the marketing thing for me was that creativeness and uh, 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 that latent creativeness that I have that was latent while I was doing the the uh, technical route as you've described. So yeah, I, th- I think the same. But the interesting thing you were saying there about sales, I think the difference about sales is. I think that marketing and sales have been thought of in the same way, in that they're not professions or skills in that same way. Whereas I think sales kind of, you don't need, you know, is a simpler, is a simpler craft than marketing these days. Marketing and, and well, I hate, well, you are getting a lot of comments from there. I don't want to offend salespeople because I, I've worked with some amazing salespeople and I've worked with some people that are just, you know, uh, people, <laughs> 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 you know? um, and there is a definite art and craft to good salespeople, no doubt about that. But I don't. But I think these days marketing seems to have got so so much more complex, or maybe it isn't. Maybe we're just making marketing really complicated, and it's actually quite simple. But it seems to have got more complex. That actually, um, that, that we all need a, a base, uh, a, an understanding of the basics, right? Yeah. Um, to 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 uh, to communicate with each other and to understand understand what this craft is all about, I guess. Because I think I think the thing is that that um, the complexity in marketing has has uh, really been in the the channels in which you're communicating to people. So there's yeah. more channels, you know. And we could say all the old channels like a direct mail or a trade mm-hmm. show were dead, but in fact they're not they're not necessarily dead. They just no, kind of no. like move aside, and they're like yep. one piece in a in a bigger palette of of ways to connect to to um to a a potential client and to existing customers if i just pause you on that i i also think that we think we need to reinvent marketing every time there's a new channel which is ridiculous yeah exactly because it's the focus the focus becomes and i think and and partly because of the lack of education the focus of so many marketers is on the tactics themselves Mm -hmm. you know how did i run a good event you know, yeah. did I create a good email? Did it get open? Did it, you know, mm. if I've got a web page that's engaging people and and yeah. and yet some of the issues that you may have with the ability for those um, tactics to work, yeah. maybe not the tactic or the execution itself. It may be, you know, you don't understand the message that's going to connect to the customer or you're connecting in the wrong part of a buying process or yeah. Um, or your brand is all over the place and, you know, and you're confusing customers with the, yeah. you know, dozen different products you've got. And, and so that's where, 
you know, having some sort of common construct is, is helpful. And I know, you know, when I come up through marketing and I'd have a, you know, boss or somebody say, well, you know about the, the three P's of marketing, or, you know, about Aida. And I was like, well, I, you know, Aida is a, isn't that an opera from, uh, (laughs) from Verity? Um, Oh no, it's awareness, interest, desire, and action. It's like, okay, yeah, I, I get that. That's, I I mean, I, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's like, it's like if you asked how many, if, I don't know, if you asked a hundred marketers out there what Aida was, um, mm. I think you'd more of them might say that they didn't recognize it as an opera than yeah, yeah. <laughs> they understand well, what the acronym me- means. Well, the other thing is, is I mean, if you quote the four Ps or however many Ps, Ps there are, you just said three, so there's four, five, seven. The heart, the roughly, the several Ps, the some Ps, uh, and then a lot of marketers will tell you that that old-fashioned and yes and, and what are you talking about granddad you know what i mean it's now the you know the latest <laughs> acronym that they've just learned about from uh from uh, you know gary vernicek or somebody like that yeah we, <laughs> we, 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 we translate into the four r's and if yeah. you and if you if you analyze it you realize mm. or if you take a buying cycle so you know mm-hmm. to take the aida awareness interest uh, desire action it's like so if you take a buying cycle and certainly yeah. when i was at um uh, you know, Forrester series decisions. I mean, we had developed our own buying cycle. Things roughly mapped in. Mm-hmm. You know, there were six stages. Yeah, they roughly map into that. And then if you if you take any sales methodology and they talk about the selling cycle, it's like, oh, yeah. well, you know, there's a there's a selling cycle that's got to, you know, it's got to um, overlap with a buying cycle, or I should say, you know, they they work yeah. collaboratively because there's you know those two forces working together, and so, you know, we could you know, we could argue to blow our face about it. Oh, this is the new way. This is the old way, yeah, yeah. whatever. But it's like, you know, again, the CMO has got to say, okay, we, we need to come up with a common nomenclature mm-hmm. for how we think about buying, what we think about the roles of marketing within, within that, that cycle. Um, mm-hmm. And, and as you, as you lay it out, then, then, marketers you know everyone on the team sees the role of brand they see the role of market research understanding customers understanding competition they understand the role of Mm. of um uh you know engaging in communications the channels plus the messages uh and and they understand that a lot there's a lot of things that they could do that happen later in a buying cycle I mean, I think, you know, what, you know, my experience of working with clients at Forrester Series Decisions, it's so many people would focus on filling the top of the funnel. So yeah, there's yeah. another another construct is the, the lead funnel. You know, funnel. Yeah. And it's like they focus on filling the top and they don't realize that it's like the problem is not at the top. You're creating yeah, yeah. all of this initial interest. The yeah. problem is you can't move people down yeah. or if people get into a selling or you know buying selling situation yeah. where they're actually interacting with your sales team yeah. you have no answer for them there yeah well there's a couple of things on that well the first thing i should point out is this is just the opening of us starting a series about marketing education or a mini series not sure how many weeks we're going to talk about this but based on the first 12 minutes of this conversation i think <laughs> i think 2022 could be the year of marketing education for this podcast but yes. um so, so on that basis and the second thing on that final thing and we've drifted off education now i think the problem is is because people have in their head a funnel 
And the assumption that when you put things in the top of it, it will come out the bottom, right? Yes. They, they have well, either, it'll either leak out the side so it's dead yeah, or, or it goes down the funnel, yeah. Yeah, a funnel, a funnel is not a funnel, is it? It's a, it's a safe I wouldn't want to go through a funnel. <laughs> if I was a buyer, I wouldn't want to have to squeeze out the bottom of the funnel. <laughs> no, but uh, then there's only two of you left, so you're all right. Yeah. <laughs> 20,000 of you went in the top, it's like... Um, yeah, it's like that uh, Korean series. Its name has just escaped me. Where they all um, Squid Game. Squid Game. Do you see? We're down with the cool kids. Well done, Jack. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> Although I like squids, so I don't. I don't like yeah, the idea. I love anyway. squid. <laughs> yeah, I love squid. Uh, and uh, well, I mean, how many squids have uh, have been killed in the pursuit of our? <laughs> culinary <laughs> perfection anyway back i'm not to... sure where you're going there but <laughs> I, I, I there was a pause there as i thought about what i was saying um so uh, back to marketing education so um where should we start with that for this particular so what are what are the key things do you think that would form should we start with what would form the basis of marketing education so we talked about the five p's or you actually said three p's i said four p's there are some okay p's. there are five Pro product price promotion place and people yeah and then we've talked about ada well those do you think those are still the kind of core tenants of, of where marketing education needs to start you know it is a, that is a, a really good question because i think that um you know, uh, uh, again, you've got you've got the knee jerk reaction, and it's like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, the five Ps. Somebody mentioned that to me. You know, it was you know, I can't remember when it was birthed. You know, the '60s yeah. or something like. Yeah. You know, Harvard Business School. Some yeah, guy yeah. came up with something like this, and it yeah. was hot for a while. And and um, I mean, I think that that um, uh, you know, you're you're raising a good question question about what you would base education on because i i think part of it is there's the functional perspective so in your mm -hmm. team you're going to have people that focus on brand and positioning you're going to have people that just do communications yeah you know you're going to have people that do market research and people that manage data and understand yeah. how how managing data around you know context the interactions mm -hmm. etc um you know and then there's the the channels themselves uh, yep. the technology behind those channels. And then there's yeah. just things like good project management skills yeah, that are just yeah. like that, you know, that are absolutely necessary in almost all of the functions within well, marketing. And, and mm -hmm. so, you know, so there, I think it's like you, you need to take something like the buying cycle. Yeah. Which, which again, the AIDA is a, is a, is a rough approximation for a buying cycle. Take something like a buying cycle as being, your basis for what are the, the um, you know, if you sort of, if you put the buying cycle against your functions and say, what are yeah. the skills I need at each of those areas? And what's my, um, what am I trying to do to actually get people from where they are today in their skills to, um, to where they need to be to understand how to move people through, move customers yeah. through a buying cycle. Yeah. So uh, that's an interesting view. So you're you're saying that we basically take a customer centric view to the skills of our folks in our marketing teams. And also, I thought that was interesting what you were saying there as well about the fact that we have all these different needs and functions and, and skills that are needed in the marketing team. Now, there isn't really it's not like being an accountant where 
I suppose you could be a specialist kind of accountant or a tax accountant or but broadly speaking yeah, there's there's accounts one accountancy 101 yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. you know, and you know it's like you there yeah, is a broadly if you're hiring an accountant they're gonna they're, there's some there's, there's some things about um accountancy that I can't think of right now about keeping the books which is the core of accountancy whereas marketing now is not you couldn't say this is marketing right because marketing for so long has been defined as branding and positioning and all the soft skills and all that kind of stuff but now you're absolutely right market research and that data science is now part of uh, a part of marketing I think there's a huge I mean we talk about technology all the time on the show yeah um, yeah. And that and that requires a, a specific skill. I mean, I've seen so many times where people have truly not understood the technology that's beneath them and just have a little crib sheet and skating through and doing the best they can. Or the opposite, where people have options to do things because the technology allows them to do them and they've outsourced their marketing brain to the tech. Um, so having those skills is really important. And of course, we're all project managers as well. And that's a skill in itself. Well, an understanding that marketing is, I mean, this is one of the things that always was a, uh, uh, you know, thing that irritated me is that marketing is all processes. And yet yeah, if you start yeah. talking about process in a marketing uh, team, they're yeah, like, yeah. oh my God, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. I just want to, I just want to look at, you know, I want to yeah. talk yeah. to the agency and review creative, you know, this yeah. process crap is, uh, yeah. is, is bogging me down. So yeah, it is. That's something that Robert Rose says in the, in the cocktails. A couple of times I think he's mentioned this. is If you wander around with the latest um, uh, designs for the new website or the new brand, you'll get a room full of people really interested. But if you wander around with the process for what your content strategy is, you'll be in a meeting of one. You know? so, <laughs> That's exactly right. You'll have the yeah. marketing ops guy or the uh, content yeah. ops person who's like yeah. – this is really exciting. <laughs> he has no friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we have to cover all those skills. So we're, I mean, we're coming up, blimey, we're coming up for 20 minutes already. Um, so where are we going to go with this series, Jeff? I think where we're going to go is we're going to um, dig into our our, uh, our library of models <laughs> and start to come up with some, I mean, I think if, you know, um, you know, again, it, it would be important, I think, to touch on, the importance of, you know, we could take, take, you know, a couple of key things like brand, like market research and understanding positioning and, um, you know, process or whatever, you just take those and kind of dig into them about what's, what's important to understand there. And, and then maybe sites of resources that people can go to. Cause that's some of the other thing is it's not like there aren't resources out there. I no, mean, exactly. where I worked at Forrester, Gartner, the digital marketing to content marketing. Yeah. I mean, they, they are all these places where you can, you can find information that yeah. can be used as training tools. The problem is that because some university or community college hasn't really done its due diligence to create a good curriculum around marketing, it yeah. could be offending somebody out there is that you kind of have to come up <laughs> with it yourself. Um, yeah. And, and again, I think for a CMO who wants to get everybody on the same page, yeah. It's absolutely uh, a necessary. Well, constant learning is. I mean, I'm whenever I talk oh, to marketers, either either on my team or I, or I'm or I'm trying to, you know, um, mentor somebody or whatever. It's always about constant. You don't. You just don't know marketing. I don't think wherever you are in your career, I think you've always got to be constantly learning. And and, and that's true. That is true. And I mean that. Mm. 
as we were talking about salespeople, I mean, they can be very reluctant to learn new sales mm. methodologies and stuff like that. Yeah. But you, there again, that's a that's a career that if you're not yeah. constantly learning, you're yeah you're going to lose your I edge. Think, yeah, and we started the conversation with that. I think the difference with sales is the success is incredibly easy to define. Right, that is very thing, true. Or you didn't sell a thing. Whereas I think that in marketing. Um, despite the advances in data and attribution, our obsession with it, it's still not, you, you, you can't say that a piece of a brand work that you did has, 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 has worked or hasn't worked to any kind of level of accuracy that you can when you sell a thing. Absolutely. Well, and, and if, you know, and so if you do improve the brand awareness or the reputation of the organization or whatever brand quality you're going after, it's like, who did that? Who yeah. who actually moved that needle? And yeah. and by the time you find out that the needle is moved, <laughs> the person that did had something to do with it has probably moved on to another company. Or yeah, yeah, you know, it's yeah. just it yeah. attribution is very is very difficult. So it yeah. um it this yeah this becomes uh, yeah yeah probably for marketers. Yeah, plus the fractured nature of our marketing teams. I mean. <laughs> Uh, if you don't have great branding, your PPC is not going to work because when somebody sees your name listed on page one of Google, it doesn't matter how near the top you are. If they've never heard of you and don't trust you, they're not going to click on your link anyway. So it's yeah. um, anyway, that, that's me going down a little bit of a rabbit hole there. Um, so uh, the next thing on our agenda, so that was that's setting up what we're going to talk about. So we'll start to cover some of that off and maybe this library of marketing books i've got behind me i can just pluck one out (laughs) i mean if it wasn't if it wasn't for all of the different marketing models there would be no marketing books i mean i was having a conversation i was having a conversation last week with stan bernard i was thinking some of the ideas he had i was thinking wow this is like theodore levitt and the and marketing myopia and it's about um understanding what market you really are in and he's talking about peloton all this kind of stuff i think that's I mean, when's that from? That's from, you know, many, many years ago. So anyway. well, if there's something about good marketers that can write books is that they're good marketers. So they're looking, <laughs> they're looking for that. <laughs> Why their <laughs> philosophy is different and better than the last one that they nicked. All right. So we're going to talk about some marketing philosophies and also how, how we think people should get their marketing education. Um, but the, I do need to remember the format of the show. And the next thing is <laughs> you need to, you need to, uh, Give us a track for this particular a track to, to go out on. Well, you know, mm-hmm. so when, uh, and you know, so I hate to show my age, but you know, when I think of education, I think of the song from Pink Floyd, Yeah, you know, we don't need no education. And yeah. um, the thing, well, which I never really, I mean, well, I love the guitar parts, but the, yeah. the, the theme of it, I never really liked. And I, and, yeah. and I, I was, um, I was uh, encouraged that this was actually a lie when I was in the UK once and I, and I was watched the news and David Gilmore, who was a guitar player, lead singer yeah. for Pink Floyd, his son had got kicked out of a prestigious private school for taking LSD and doing all kinds of weird things. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. so the guy who sang, <laughs> we don't need no education, sent his son to an elite <laughs> private school. That, 
<laughs> that's the perfect, there you go <laughs> that's the perfect story for this uh this yeah. particular line of thought isn't it about yeah, marketing but, and whether we do need an education but, but since we do need an education we need yes. to think about how sometimes we may put the teachers in an uncomfortable situation so i yes. thought we would pick the police's don't stand so close to me well another classic good lord i mean Last week, the week before, it was the Beatles. Last week, who did we? We had the Rolling Stones. Rolling Stones, I know. And now the police. We're rolling through the decades, mate. You never yeah. know. By the end of this year, we might. Uh... <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be up to hip hop. All right. <laughs> well, you I know consult, when you're not I, con- I, I will start consulting my kids before I <laughs> well, nominate when, a music. Whenever you have a break, then I play something weird. So. <laughs> All right, mate. So we'll play out with Don't Stand So Close To Me by The Police, which is, uh, I'll find out the year when I do the edit. It's like 90, it like 82, 83, 82, somewhere like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, mate. Well, thank you very much. And I shall see you next week and we'll carry on talking about marketing education. Thank you, Jeff. I'll see you then. Awesome. Cheers, buddy. Adios. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Young teacher, the subject of school girl fantasy. She wants him so badly, knows what she wants to be. Inside her, there's longing, this girl's an open page. Bookmarking, she's so close now, this girl is half his age. Thank you, Jeff. And that was The Police Don't Stand So Close to Me from 1980, of course. And if you'd like to chat with Jeff on any of the topics we cover, get in touch. We're hello at rockstarcmo.com on email, and I'll include all his links in the show notes. As I mentioned, my guest this week was taken on well at the last minute, the risk of creating a weekly show just in time. But more importantly, Rebecca, if you're listening, get well soon. So it's time for my solo. The unfortunate absence of a guest gives me the opportunity to share a thought for the week. And this week, I'm inspired by the Content Corner newsletter from a friend of the show, Dennis Shaw, who's been a guest and whose name crops up quite regularly here. Dennis is a B2B marketing consultant at his agency, Attention Retention, organises the Bay Area Content Meetup. And you can find him on Twitter at dshao, D-S-H-I-A-O, and I'll include his links in the show notes. Anyway, in his latest email, he talks about the crop of top 10 article posts we always see as the year turns. Specifically, he asks the question, the top 10 most popular posts of 2021, is that really serving your audience or is it more serving you? He goes on to make a great point that he'd rather read a new original piece of content than a rehash of what's gone on before and suggests an excellent alternate approach to engage readers. I'll include a link in the show notes so you can read the rest. It's quite a good idea. But of course, from a content marketing perspective, these roundup articles tick a lot of boxes. We are supposed to repurpose and remix our content. But I agree. It is all a bit self-serving. Publish the most popular articles and guess what? They become more popular. Better to find a better metric of your content than popularity. Discover relevancy and engagement and share something great from your long tail that it's highly relevant, but maybe didn't catch the wave of fickle audience attention and share that. 
Anyway, back to Dennis's point. I read this and I was thinking, it's another one of those marketing activities that we should file under annoying, but it works. If you're a regular listener, you'll know I asked my guests to chuck something into the Rockstar CMO swimming pool. Our portal to hell for all the bullshit snake oil and overhype trends. And it's full of those things that are annoying, but work. Like remarketing, for example, that we chucked in in one form or another half a dozen times. I should confess that when Rockstar CMO is a monthly web publication before the podcast, we would regularly publish the top 10 articles based on the vanity stats. And by some metric, they worked in engaging the authors as well as the audience. And if a chat with Jason Falls hadn't fallen into my lap at the end of last year, I suspect I would have rounded off the year of this podcast with a roundup episode. I know Dennis was not calling me out specifically, of course. We might be called Rockstar CMO, but we're not that narcissistic. But it made me think, as I think this points to a bigger issue for us marketers, when something works, especially when it's easy, we stop thinking about it. It becomes one of the things we just do. We see everyone else doing it, and it becomes a thing. The roundup at the end of the year, it's just a thing. How many of our activities do we do just because that's what marketers do or maybe what other marketers do rather than what the business or the audience really needs? Do we need that weekly blog or podcast or whatever it is? I listened to a fascinating conversation on the Renegade Marketing Podcast between Drew Neiser and the CMO of a heating controls company, 75F, David Kerner, in which he'd killed all of that as he tries to cut through in a market where they compete with some massive companies well-funded with their advertising, and it has had no detriment to his marketing mission. Anyway, Dennis makes a great point about those annual top 10 articles that I think we can apply to a lot of what we do. Stop and think about it, do something slightly different, and even if it seems to us that it works, is it really serving the audience? That's my thought for the week. Let me know what you think. Thanks, Dennis, for the inspiration. And listeners, take a look at what Dennis does. As I said, I'll include all his links in the show notes. Right, it's Friday evening. Time to wind down in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, to be transported away with a cocktail and a marketing thought. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Ah, hello, my friend. It is good to see you in the bar. Um, yeah, uh, quiet, I think, this week. Mm, You'll be good. pleased. I think you're <laughs> pleased to hear that. Yeah, I think always. Uh, it's always pleased to hear how quiet it is, and in, in fact, in the bar. Yeah. Um, you know, so I have something fun for us uh, this week to drink. Um, uh, I was thinking, you know, so it's a whiskey drink. Um, but you know, as as things are, and I think uh, knowing you as I do, mm-hmm. I think yes. you'll agree, bacon makes everything better. Right? <laughs> it certainly does. And so I discovered this cocktail by quite by accident. Um, at, but you know, and we've actually made a version of this co- uh, cocktail before on, on the show, which uh, is a a whiskey ginger. Um, which is, you know, again, your favorite way to get to ginger ale. Do you, you know, if you really want to get, um, you know, completely, uh, uh, you know, DIY about it, you can certainly do that. I just go with a, you know, a fancy brand of ginger ale that I quite like, mm-hmm. um, mixed in with whiskey, you know, a good whiskey. Yeah. You don't have to make it a super fancy whiskey here. Cause obviously yeah. you're putting ginger ale in it. Yeah. Um, a little bit of lime. And then here's the kicker. So that lime, the ginger ale, the whiskey make sort of the drink drink. And then 
either on the side or if you get really fancy you can spear a toothpick through it and make it you know within the uh, a, a garnish um yeah. bacon right <laughs> crispy bacon <laughs> i've never heard of that I am telling you that is a that is a treat <laughs> of all treats. It is lovely. So I'm calling it the whiskey ginger pig, um, because you're going to have some crispy bacon there with your whiskey and ginger ale, and it's just a lovely, nice. lovely cocktail. Well, you know, the other week we were talking about owning um, domain names. I actually own Bacon Content because I always thought that I know if I, I know. created I my know. agency, I would call it bacon content. So yeah. that's what this show should be called and not Rockstar CMO, maybe. All right, uh, so I'm yeah. going to attempt to make that with the limited resources I have available at my desktop bar. I see. I have, I see. I have um, what kind of whiskey was it? Like a bourbon or a... Um, no, just, just a, I mean, really any whiskey you like. Whiskey. I mean, I, you know, for a, for right. a whiskey ginger, you know, I'm going to go with a, 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 a nice rye is always Ooh. lovely. Yes. Um, you know, bourbon works too if you want bourbon. Nice. Well, um, I'm. Uh, I well, I think you know the extent of my uh, desktop bar, and I'm going to go for uh, gin. <laughs> ah, so I've there you some, go. I got some Hendrix gin here. As I always gin. say, the most English of whiskeys. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. And did yeah. you put ice in it? Uh, I did actually. Yes. It's I'm a. It's a nice. Again cocktail the, the the actual liquid part of the cocktail is not what makes it magical it's it's all right adding your little side sidecar there i probably startled the listeners there dropping ice into this um uh, into this cocktail shaker so i'm gonna so I've, I've dropped some ice now i'm gonna put some um put some of that gin in and then what is it that you put in as your mixer uh, that was ginger ale. Yeah, that was mm. uh, that was that was a little ginger ale. I mean, and get to that however you like. You know, some people are very, very, very you know have a mm. have a connoisseur for for ginger ale and want to make nice. it on their own and you know with soda and ginger and actually you know nice. all that. But I just you know a good ginger ale is is a good ginger ale is actually difficult to find. But when you find one, you, mm -hmm. you stay with it. And if you couldn't find one, would martini extra dry vermouth do? Uh, yeah, yes, I, I suppose it would. I suppose it would if you took out the ginger, the ale, the bubbles, uh, and everything else, and all right, create. Yeah, I'm going to drop a little bit of that in there, then, and then I'm going to stir it up to make sure that uh, that's really, really cold. Is it? Is it a really, really cold drink? It's yeah, it's a chilly Sorry. drink. Yeah, I think the stirring. I think my sound effect. No, these aren't sound effects. This is real. It's, it's probably not the way you're supposed to do a professional podcast. But uh, I've I've got that nice and cold. And I'm just going to pour that into my cocktail glass, as you can hear. Well, there we go. Oh, that's quite a good-looking drink. Right, take a sip. Oh, that's very good, Robert. There you Certainly go. Certainly very warming. And I, um, oh, I forgot about the bacon. I really don't have any bacon around it. Can you imagine if you put bacon into the last week's drink? That would be the most English thing ever, wouldn't it? Earl Grey tea. It might be. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, there is that. There. I, I mean, you have heard of the bacon martini. They're, they they do definitely really? have them. Yes, of course. They do have them. Wow. I'm going to have to try one of those. And what are we calling this, Robert? I'm calling it the Whiskey Ginger Pig. Oh, that's delicious. I could probably, for 2022, drink one of these every single week. I think you probably <laughs> will. We should, have, um, we should have celebrated the death of the gin and tonic uh, joke, shouldn't we, last year? But uh, we're now on to a new I one. Think we've, <laughs> I, I think all you've done is change the setup, my friend. I think the, the, the punchline <laughs> remains the same, yeah. 
<laughs> all right so so we're drinking these uh these these wonderful drinks uh where are you going to transport us to this week Robert? well i think we have to make our way back to copenhagen um because Ooh. i miss it very dearly and yes. the you know i have sort of this you know sort of now pavlovian uh, association in my head with copenhagen and uh great cocktails yes. um and Plus. I've told the story before on this show about my my you know my my uh, my trip to the bars there, yeah. uh, and my my true appreciation of some of the fanciest cocktails I've ever had have been in that city. So, but it feels like the right time of year to to get there. Um, and I'm you know I, I have every confidence that it's gray and windy and rainy and cold, but mm-hmm. it doesn't matter because we can ensconce ourselves in some wonderful little bar somewhere and and. Nice. Um, and just cozy up with one of these uh, whisker ginger pigs. I love it, and probably uh, you may. I think serendipity is that uh, you've chosen a cocktail which has a link to um, Denmark in the, in terms of uh, they are very they make very good bacon. They, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they do. I yeah. did not know that. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but um, but Danish I, you bacon. Know, that's, serendipity uh, about <laughs> so that's wonderful so i'm so we drink we're, we're we're enjoying their delicacies in their cozy little bar and eating their bacon uh what would we be discussing well you know it was something that i've been this is something that was a while back that i was given some thought to because it actually came up again very recently for me uh you're familiar with the term catfishing yes and yes Yes. So um, for those in the audience that may not be aware, so catfishing has, I mean, it's other than the obvious where you're fishing for catfish, like literal catfishing, <laughs> catfishing itself has become a bit of a verb um, over time. And it, and it ostensibly means that you're presenting false information to someone to make believe that you're someone else and usually used in the context of dating. Um, and so if you get catfished, someone has presented themselves as something that they're not and you suddenly discover that you know it's not this person and and there you go and the interesting thing is is that it's actually i see it in business right there's this fascinating thing when and and what i find is is that in many cases marketers uh and very often content marketing practitioners <laughs> are catfishing themselves yes. um and, and and what i mean by that is is that so this came up just uh, l- last week because we we're in that season of planning and making big mm-hmm. goals for the year and, and all that kind of stuff. And it was this B2B financial services uh, company and the content marketing director there, they were really, really frustrated because they had turned in um, this, you know, this great plan um, and had slowly over the course of the last year, so meaning 2021, um, literally the reputation that their group had was the the department that makes PowerPoints, which is sad when you think about it. Um, yeah. And what had the plan that he had put into place and sort of submitted to his boss and submitted to everything was that his team was going to be, you know, the brand storytelling machine. And, you know, they were going to create these amazing, you know, content uh, stories and mm-hmm. big thought leadership pieces. And mm-hmm. basically they had devolved over the course of 12 months into basically creating this sales materials, the PowerPoints for the organization. And his boss, when he had seen this new plan for 2022 was like, Hey, you're, 
catfishing me, right? Because you know you didn't do what you did said you were going to do last year. You turned into the Department of PowerPoints, and wow. basically he was like, I, I, you know, he was unable to communicate this because what had happened was he can say he wants to do one thing, but yes. given the fact that he had basically, you know, over time been pressured by different groups of the business sales and brand and, you know, and, and basically mm-hmm. his boss hadn't stood up for him to say no to these things. In other words, he wasn't allowed to say no to all these requests and he was good at it. He was never sort of able to turn the tide, you know, or shut off wow. the spigot or, you know, whatever metaphor you like of all these requests. And so, by the end of it, that's the reputation. You know, you get the reputation of what you were doing. Yeah. And ultimately, his boss had a different impression. And so when it comes time to say, hey, it's time for a new plan. He's like, well, why are you giving me a new plan? Because you didn't do what you said you were going to do last year. Wow. And that is a real thing that I'm seeing more and more yeah. of, which is, you know, we plan to do one thing, but the business plans for us to do quite another and we end up catfishing ourselves to our boss or to our audiences or to our yeah. colleagues or whoever it is. And, you know, we always, uh, you know, in our research that we do every year uh, where, you know, my the research that we do with uh, Content Marketing Institute, we always look at this sort of, okay, what's the, what are the most successful, you know, marketers, content marketers doing that the least successful or are not or are doing. And it always comes down to the plan, right? Putting together a documented content marketing strategy. But the key there is that it's sticking to the plan, right? It's it's actually executing against the plan. It's not just the documentation of the plan. It's actually matching the actions to the words and the things that you're doing and, and not catfishing yourself. And so thinking that through, and either A, getting your boss behind you so that you can actually clear that and be able to say no to things, or two, actually sticking to it yourself and saying no, actually doing the mm-hmm. thing you say you're going to do is really uh, super important. Oh, man, that's, that, that is so important. And I think, um, I think we forget sometimes that um, colleagues only know you for what you're doing. They don't know you for what you're capable of or what you've done in the yeah. past or any of that stuff so you you may have this view of yourself helping somebody out with powerpoints even though your skills lies elsewhere and they find that really useful but now you're the powerpoint guy exactly guy. it's the yeah. that internal branding yeah um, of yourself is yeah. really important a really good friend of mine and a former client um he i love this quote of his and, and i've sort of completely stolen it <laughs> which is you know in in bigger business, this is really true in bigger businesses less than it yeah. is smaller businesses. But in bigger business, as he said, it's not what you do; it's what they think you do. Yes, and 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 it, and it's so true, right? Yeah, it yeah, doesn't yeah. matter what you really do in the business; it's what people yeah. believe you do in the business because that's where they're going to come for you, and that's how they perceive you. Yeah, I've always had that quote in my mind. I think you must have tweeted it or written about it a few years ago because I have. Yeah, I have yeah, written yeah, about I've, that particular quote. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've had that in my mind as well. And I think that, um, and I've had experience of it, is that, uh, you know, people start to depend on you for doing things that really you weren't, isn't part of, like you say, your plan. And so you need to be pretty strict about executing against what you believe needs to get done. And that's tough. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so much easier. It can be incredibly difficult. Yeah. I mean, it's so much easier a lot of the time is if, if you find that you're useful to somebody, to, 
then everybody's happy, right? You're doing something, it's useful, everybody's jolly, there's no friction. But then comes a time where you've got to stand up for yourself and deliver the thing you want to do. That's that's the hard thing, isn't it? That's when you deliver and you've got to you've got you've got to create some thick friction. Yeah, it's right. You've got to you you you've either got you know the most important thing is to you know there's two pieces to that, right? There's one, don't submit a plan that you can't confidently yeah. execute. Yeah. You know, because one of the things that I find that happens a lot in corporate marketing planning is we 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 submit the plan we think will pass rather than the yeah. plan we do, and 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 that is one thing, right? Which is saying, mm-hmm. hey, listen, let's not set ourselves up for failure by submitting things that we know that you know. In other words, not trying to game the system um, to say, ah, this is what's going to pass, but we will never deliver against it, and it'll be okay because we can always blame it for you know, for some other reason. But the second thing is, is to, you know, once you've submitted a plan that you want to do to then make sure that you've identified the roadblocks and the, and the big rocks in the middle of the road that you're going to have to get around in order to execute against it. And one of those things might be, you're going to have to switch how you're perceived in the organization to something other than being an on-demand content, you know, vending machine. Mm. Yeah, and we talk about that so many times, don't we? About being a, yeah, exactly about a content vending machine. Well, um, I'm really curious. How did that conversation end up? Then did he just resubmit another plan, which was I'm going to build 12 powerpoints a week for the rest of my life? Or <laughs> what? It what it spurred into was this, you know, to say this would be a year of transition, right? You know, in other words, he, you know, basically said, you know, recognized that it was going to take a bit of a phased approach to, in order mm-hmm. to get out from doing that. Yeah. And that, you know, the, you know, his, his request for things like, you know, extra budget and, yeah. uh, you know, and, uh, and extra people and, you know, just, you know, more resources yeah. ostensibly, we're going to have to be couched in the idea of saying, okay, you're going to have to continue to deliver against this because of this perception for yeah. some time, but we can work on a, you know, as part of your plan to make a phased approach and reset the objectives better to start to, you know, really achieve what we're trying to achieve rather than sort of just becoming the, the department of PowerPoints. Yeah, yeah, no, it's really interesting. And it's funny because some of you, I think, well, I mean, obviously, m- many of your thoughts are connected, but it's, it's just like the thing where you're talking about, about a rut and a grave, right? Is that, um, you know, you, you can find yourself in a, in a very comfortable position serving somebody and making them happy, but actually, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not where you need to be. You need to be executing on a tougher plan. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. A, I mean, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, and again, two, two lenses to look on that. One is the fact yeah. that, you know, for this particular person, they didn't really realize it. And until it became, you know, a crisis, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the big problem. Yeah, yeah. You know, you don't yeah. realize you're in that rut until, you know, it becomes a crisis yeah. um, and, and somebody surfaces it for you. Um, yeah. Or two, you're very happy in that rut and mm-hmm. you're fine with it. And quite frankly, then somebody calls you out on it and says, you know, literally you're catfishing me and, you know, yeah. you can't do that anymore. Right. Yeah. You know, and so it's, it's, you know, it, it, it all of a sudden comes down to whether you were conscious of it or not. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, and then in this case, he was not conscious of it. I mean, he was conscious of the fact that he was the department of PowerPoints mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. sort of wanted to change that. But at the same time, he was saying, I, I don't know how to change that. Yeah. 
Wow, that's fascinating and, and, a, and a great story and a, and a great lesson for all of us marketers, I think, because uh, we, we're in such a, a broad discipline and uh, it's often hard, isn't it? Uh, you have to meet some resistance in order to drive change. And sometimes it's easier just to do the thing they want you to do. So I think there's wise words, mate. So where would folks find wise words such as this if they were to scroll through the internet? Well, you can find it on our our, 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 our sparkly new redesign. <laughs> Uh, site at contentadvisory.net not redesigned but as much as sort of tweaked and yeah. made a little more modern and up to date um, yeah that's our that's that's our little place Spending, on the web yeah. I, was, I was just there and uh, you're absolutely right you've cleaned house a little bit and little when bit. people you know, basically fixed it it was more <laughs> yeah. probably the better, better term yeah. and when people spin the dial on the interwebs mate where are they going to find you? Uh, they're going to find me on uh, typically on uh, you know more and more on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is really yeah. leaning into business oriented content, and I'm I'm pleased to spend most of my sort of content creation there. And then of course Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, there's a great piece about LinkedIn on your show, this old marketing, which I encourage people to go take a look at, listen to as well. So mm-hmm. uh, look forward to that. All right. So um, are you going to be in the bar next week, my friend? I will indeed. I look forward to seeing you there. Cheers, mate. All right. Thank you, Robert. There you go. Don't catfish yourself. So that's a wrap on episode 97 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast, part of the Marketing Podcast Network. Thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track, and jiving along with us. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks again to Jeff and Robert for sharing their insight. Please follow them, say hello, and check out all the links we discussed in the show notes, which you can find on your favorite podcast app or at rockstarcmo.fm, where you can also find all our previous episodes. So, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? Let us know. We are Rockstar CMO on LinkedIn or Twitter. And please drop a rating or review in your favorite podcast app or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, as you heard, Jeff will be back. I'm looking forward to chatting with Ted Rubin and John Andrews about their book, Retail Relevancy. And Robert is back in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Until then, stay safe. I hope you have a great week. And I hope you'll again join us here next week on Rockstar CMO FM. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Danielle Wiley hosts a great podcast called The Art of Sway. Danielle, tell us what you talk about on the show. The Art of Sway brings listeners inside the world of marketing as seen through the lens of influence. So each week I chat with an expert guest for a lively discussion about connecting ideas with audiences in an attempt to uncover all the ways influence impacts how and what we discover, purchase, and recommend to each other. Wow. And where can people subscribe? Go to theartofswaypodcast.com, find the show at marketingpodcasts.net, or search for The Art of Sway wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.